I'm Trin Patek, and this is Starting Out. DJ's podcast where I talk to the leaders in the marketing industry about their personal stories that make them the prominent voices and decision makers in the business today. Adapt or die, it's something most businesses say they practice but rarely do. An exception is my guest this week, Tracy Wong. Tracy is the founder of Wong Duty, a 25-year-old creative agency that made news when it announced that it would be acquired by Indian IT and consulting giant Infosys earlier this year. We've seen a lot of change in the past 10 or 15 years, but the change has been so rapid in the last three to five years. And, you know, sort of as, as we were looking at sort of the landscape of what was happening to our own business, but also on a macro level to any independent out there, it's like um, the straight sort of advertising assignments are few and far between. Um, your competition is from so many different areas right now. It could be different kinds of agencies, production consul- uh, production companies, consultancies, in-house is big. And any any client of any sort of size or, you know, beyond regional but national, they're disruptors in the landscape. Either we try to disrupt or we're going to get disrupted. What helped Tracy come to the realization that was about changing or being made irrelevant is a culture of democracy that he says is the bedrock of his company. Well, here's the funny thing. It's like, uh, you know, there, there are certain kids when they're in school, oh, you can tell this, 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 this kid is going to be an entrepreneur. I had no, no inclination that I would ever start my own business. In school, I never thought about that. When I was in the business, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. So what had happened was uh, I started off at Ogilvy in New York. Uh, and after probably about two days, I figured, you know what? This is probably not right for me as a cultural fit. It took me three and a half years to get out. Um, but um, my second job was a formative one. I worked for a sm- small startup at the time called Goldsmith Jeffrey. What I saw there was, I saw that you could do this, yeah, obviously with very little overhead, but it's like, it was really the principles that were the drivers. It's like, wow, could I someday do this? I, maybe I could do this, because Gary was an art director by trade, and he was with an account guy, Bob, and, and they could do this. So I sort of, in the back of my mind, was looking for the right opportunity and the right person to maybe start a business. And it took me a while, it was a good be for a few years, and then I took a job at a place called Livingston and Company in Seattle to be the executive creative director. And so I took the job and there I met a gentleman, the general manager's name was Pat Duty. One night over dinner, Duty and I confessed our secret desires, which is, hey, you know what? It'd be great to start an agency someday. And he goes, you wanna start an agency? I looked at him like, you wanna start an agency? So Pat was an account guy, 10 years older than me, uh, general manager's just like, shoot, we could do this, man. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. We basically decided that night that we would start an agency. What was kind of the creative scene like um, at the time? You know, what was going to be kind of the founding principle? What, what, what did you think about, okay, what makes our agency different? Or were you like, okay, we're going to make really great stuff and let's see how it goes? You know, obviously we knew that it's like based on the sort of uh, creative work that I'd done at other agencies, we were going to lead with creative, but it was more than that because both Pat and I are extremely pragmatic. The most important thing is the relationship. And so we actually came up with this list of values. The first couple were the most formative. We knew that, you know, it's a creative work is important, but the relationship with the client is more important than anything because if you have a relationship with a the client, then A, you don't have any revenue, and B, there's, you're never going to get any good creative work. So for us, building the foundation on relationships being everything was really important to us. And so you would think creative would be 
on that list of values. But things like creativity, integrity are not on the list of values because those are givens. The most important ones where a relationship is everything and not just with clients, but as it turned out, our employees because the employees are the drivers to the business. It's like we can't own everything. And so our relationship with them has to be good and strong because it's, uh, I mean, you have to. It's self-preservation. Relationship good with employees. Employees do good work, work hard, love the agency, love the culture. Good relationship with the clients. Everything is symbiotic. Um, and the other thing is it's an egoless culture. That was the second thing. Which is especially important. I mean, I, I talk about ego and it's sort of almost very close relationship with advertising quite a bit. And I've talked about it with a lot of guests because it does feel like ego is a central part of a lot of people in advertising, a lot of companies in advertising. And in some ways sort of that explains the awards. It explains a lot of how, how it all works, really. Ego seems inextricably linked. So that is a really, really big thing with the agency. And I think that's probably the biggest point of differentiation that most people don't realize until they come and work for us. Because for us, it's about employee retention, employee welfare, and employee uh, happiness. And where that comes from is really having an egoless culture. So when Wong Duty started, it's, it's, uh, it's Pat, it's me, it's uh, a phone, and we don't even have our own fax machine. Our first office space was in a commercial real estate agent's conference room. It was a buddy of Pat's who said he would give us free office space for six months. And so our first client was a client called uh, K2 Skis. Uh, K2 Skis is a local account, but a really famous ski company. And so uh, our first assignment for them was for the whole new campaign, catalog line, advertising campaign for the coming season. And we were juggling freelance si assignments at the time. And we had probably less than we had less than a week to come up with the, the campaign ideas for this thing. So it's me, Pat. We do have one employee, Rainy Huey, who is uh, we call the catch-all goddess. She would do production, she'd do strategy, she'd do account work, anything that we needed her to. And then I had a freelance writer who was moonlighting uh, from an agency down the street, but he was a junior kid, and we had him only at night. And so I said, "You guys, we only have three or four days to come up with ideas." I can't work with Craig all the time, and we got other stuff to do. It's like, I'm going to need all of you guys to come up with ideas for the campaign. They were looking at me like, what? And Because you guys are with the strategy. You understand the assignment. You understand the client. So it's Monday night. On Wednesday night, we're, at, we're all going to sit down. We're all going to share ideas. And they said, okay, so you got Duty, who's an account guy, Rainy, who's the strategist and an account person, Craig, the junior copywriter, and me, and literally – we're there, there are two of us in chairs, and Craig and I are sitting on the floor because we don't have four chairs. And we're literally laying down pieces of paper. Some resemble ad layouts. Some are just headlines. Some are just photos. We talk about them. And my job as a creative director was like, okay, all right. It's like we had a yes pile, a no pile, and a maybe pile. So yes, that, that's something of an idea. That's great. We can work with this. There's a no pile mm, off strategy, probably not right for the client. And then a maybe pile was like it was – not fully formed or really in its sort of fetal stages. And I could see as a creative director, a little bit of work and massage you, we can make this into something. And so that was our first ever creative internal with account people as part of the internal and a part of the, not just contributing work, but discussing the work at the very first internal. And out of that meeting, 
out of that first internal came bits and pieces of the campaign that eventually sold and went on to win some awards. And some of these headlines and ideas came from Pat and Rainey. So that was the, the driver and the prototype for what our creative internals and the way we work now. Yes, the creative department is on the hook for specifically coming up with the ideas. From, but from the first internal on, every discipline expert is in the room contributing and bringing their own expertise and evaluating that work through their own lens. And we're, they're allowed freely to take the ideas in exchange, riff, kill, whatever, but it's, it's a discussion. No assholes. No ego, no assholes. You can't do that if that's the case. And what happens is a lot of senior creatives who come from other agencies who are really nice people at other agencies don't like this, this sort of setting. They're like, what, what are all these people doing on the first internal? An assistant account executive like critiquing my work. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> I think, and this sort of this is a nice way to actually go back to a little bit to what we were saying right at the beginning, which is you know the industry has changed, the work has changed. It's not about, and I think this is this is not, not news to anybody. It's not the one big film anymore. Everything's more difficult. Everything's more complicated. It's also arguably more fun. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of you know obviously if for those who are listening who might not know you know uh, Wang Duty has become now part of Infosys and I wanted to sort of go back to sort of where that conversation began and what was going through your head at the time as you were sort of thinking about how the industry has changed and why did this make make any sense to you? Right. Well, I think if we look at what um, marketing used to be, it used to be pure and simple. It's just demand generation you know, throw some fish hooks into the water and let's see what we catch. But the responsibilities of the CMOs are now much more complicated than that rather than just generating demand. They're responsible for consumer experience, customer experiences once they're in. They're responsible for customer engagement. Now that starts to get into digital and technology platforms and that's where it starts to get very complicated because the responsibilities are getting bigger and stranger and mm. they're all connected to technology in some way. So like, and it's like every client, every client seems to be struggling with having to develop some technology to enhance or to build customer engagement and experience. So if they've got to build um, apps or tech platforms, that's, that's like, that was never on their, on their, you know, job description a few years back. So that's why I think it's like marketing now becomes experience and engagement. And it's like, wow, that's a whole of, that's where it gets really deep and nasty. So now CMOs are pulled into conversations with CIO, CDO, CTOs, and CEOs like, oh shit. Uh So they've got that in the back of their head. So everything now for for these chief marketing officers is, is nasty and tangled and complicated. How has that affected then, and this is what you were about to talk about, just how has that sort of changed how the agency business was functioning, um, which, you know, was very different from just even five years ago. What, what has the effect been on agencies? So, you know, I, I, I look at one key point. There's a list that we've been watching for, well, everybody watches this. It's like the top 10 holding agency holding companies in the world. How many are actually purely agency holding companies anymore? They're either uh, they're either straight up consultancies or global tax. It's like what? Where did that come from? And that's that's all a part of what we we're just talking about. You know the complexity of things and the complexity of a CMO's business and now how technology is kind of infected and eaten everything. 
Quick break to tell you all about our Can Lions coverage. Sign up for a Digiday Can briefing to get all the highs, lows, and absurdities of the week in our daily newsletter. You'll also get exclusive invites to all the events that we're hosting there, including live recordings for the Digiday podcast hosted by Brian Morrissey and starting out with me. If you're there, please come join us. Learn more at digiday.com slash digidaycan. Now back to the episode. When did, um, how did sort of the conversation as you were starting to think about, you know, Infosys and, and I know you just sort of completed all of that just a couple of days ago, but, um, tell me a little bit about what you were thinking when you were saying, okay, this is what we do and what they do. This can work together and this will, this is the way forward. Yes. Well, so, you know, looking at that, uh, looking at them and looking at the landscape and looking at who, who are the, who are the entities that are buying creative agencies right now has completely changed in the past 10 years. So uh, we, you know, for Wong Duty has been in existence, it'll be 25 years this November. We've talked to tons of uh, potential buyers, you know, just to see what was out there. But, you know, predominantly for decades, they were agency holding companies. And somebody said, it's the analogy is like, well, it's like you become another stamp in the stamp collection and the, the Borg sort of eats your culture and that's it. You're basically doing it for the money and that's kind of it you're not so i mean that didn't seem very uh, attractive to us so but what has changed again is as we saw sort of this landscape changing again that list of the top 10 agency holding companies like what are the consultancies what are the global techs doing in this and then we quickly realized that well okay they have um let's, let's look at the emphasis model so emphasis so they've got digital delivery and offshore digital creation. Um, but what they've gotten into over the past few years is into uh, digital strategy and consulting. So they're trying to get out of just the digital making part into the digital strategy part. Now you're getting into the areas of the Deloitte's and the Accenture's and you're on sort of the same competitive set. And now they're looking at, well, how do we extend it so we can be, in essence, a true end-to-end solution to a client? And so on the very tip of that spear, right next to digital strategy, you have, you have customer experience and you have brand experience. So that's our territory. So what happens is, is we become part of a small portfolio of, of uh, agencies that do different things, but around customer experience and around brand experience. That if you look all the way from brand experience and brand campaigns and customer engagement at the very front and all the way down to offshore delivery of digital things in India, you got the whole thing that you can go to a client with and they can pick and choose and as they can try to extend their business. They don't have to go hire somebody else. They can come to one place. And that's obvious cost savings for the clients. Yes. And there's efficiencies in knowing their business and adding organic services to things like that is a lot easier for a lot of people. So, so, th- so that's the pitch. I mean, so the, the pitch is really one-stop shop, get, get everything done, don't need to go elsewhere for all of these different needs you have, and it's, it's the integration of it. That's the, that's the big promise. So here's the thing. So for instance, um, we're in a pitch with uh, – uh, a client in a certain vertical, but they want to introduce a t- new technology because everybody in that uh, industry or vertical needs to start to figure out how to get applications and mobile apps to deliver their services into the hands of people. So everybody in that category is is rushing to try to figure out sort of um, technological products to enhance customer engagement. Uh, 
and the experience. So it's like that's a natural play because they have to not only create demand for this thing, they have to actually create the thing, design it, and figure out how to deploy it. So we talk about uh, demand, design, uh, deploy. It's just like that circle that keeps changing. So they need all of those things. So you might come in around the conversation of how are we going to market this to like, oh, gosh, you can really help me with the customer experience and design of this thing. And, oh, my gosh, you can really help us to figure out how we're going to deliver and how we're going to manage all the data that are in our systems and how to do that and get the right analytics and blah, 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 blah. So you can see how this thing really spreads into different conversation very quickly. Even though your incision point is marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, throw a couple of myths or things I hear out in the in the world about kind of this idea of you know consultancies plus agencies plus creative services coming together. And I want I want to hear if you think they're true or if they're false and why. Um, One thing I often hear is that creatives wouldn't want to work inside one of these kinds of companies. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, and one of the choices that we made was. We're the only uh, creative agency in their global portfolio and what the, the idea is for us to scale for them. Because to them, what was really interesting for us and a really big draw for us to emphasis were two things. One, the model, the model that I just described, and the fact that um, you know we would be the only agency in the portfolio to do what we do. But the thing they said to us, we realize your culture is really, really important, and we don't want to mess with that. And actually, their culture is very strong and very good. Um, but I, but for us, that was a really, really big deal because it's like we didn't hear that pitch from anybody else. It's like, well, your culture is important, and that you know, from the the CEO down, saying to us, very, very important. You guys need to stay who you are because that's why you're successful. This is not a pitch you're going to get from an agency holding company. Second one I often hear is that consultancies are have an inherent conflict of interest in their business models and they shouldn't be able to advise clients as well as sell clients on the thing that they're advising them on. Um, gosh, I don't know where I've heard that one because it's like, as you advise, you want to sell. <laughs> well, it's what they, it's what, well, at, at the risk of answering my own question, which I love to do. Um, that's, that's basically what consultancies do. That, that's just their model. It's not different from what they've done for years. Right. Some consultancies stop. They say, we're just going to consult and get out. You know, it's like the pigeon dropping their business and flying off. Doesn't seem very sustainable. <laughs> no. And what's happening is I think those those specific consultancies are thinking, you know what? We better add some services because these other guys are moving upstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One Another thing I'm, I'm curious about, about what you think is that it's not consultancies, you know, coming in and eating agencies lunch, that is, that's really the big concern. It's, it's clients just deciding to do more things in house. And that's something sort of that you were obviously seeing in the market, marketers either deciding to do their own thing or other people doing it and not sort of the traditional agencies doing it. Um, How much of this time around that we're talking about in-house marketing and in-house agencies, does it feel real? Because it feels more real to me this time around feels like there's actually happening. I think it's past the point of being just another phase as we've seen before in the past. Um, you know, there are cost savings and efficiencies to be drawn from that. Now, again, the, the, the biggest conundrum is can you hire the best talent to bring them in house back to your earlier question? Some cases, maybe in a lot of cases, no, but again, the late agency landscape is changing and these kind of setups within house 
are more attractive than they were before. Um, the, the way we'll really tell how much of a lasting effect this is, I, I think some, so many big companies are already past the point where it's like, yes, they're going to keep it. But the, the, the thing that uh, we should wait for is the next recession. Because that will tell you. Because the first thing to go, we see in every recession, on on you know client side is a lot of times it's the flower budget and then in house creative. <laughs> so what about the snacks? Yes, some snacks snacks may stay. Snacks may stay. Good, good choice. Once you give them the snacks, you can't take them away. <laughs> Entitlement. So so I will, we'll see, and I think some may scale back. But I think a lot won't. So, yeah, I think it's here to stay. And, and, you know, I think you're right. It feels like it's a time for evolve or die approach. And for real this time for agencies, either, you know, do something, do whatever it is, figure it out. So that's part of it, too. It's like you look at, you know, how many headlines do you see the ad agency business is dying or dead. We're, we, we're living what you're seeing. It's legit. So that's why for us. The issue was, can we find a strategic partner, which we found in Infosys, that will sort of uh, future-proof us, retain culture, but we can fit into the sort of their scheme of things and help each other in sort of a symbiotic relationship. I talked about this democracy earlier where we sat around in a circle where you've got discipline experts, you know, at the first creative internal on. Well, now that model as we've seen internally as we're being asked to do much different things than we used to before. But even as we start to evolve into the emphasis model, when we're t- talking with their digital strategists and their vertical leaders, the conversations are a lot more complex and the, the problems that are brought to us and the solutions are a lot different than what we're used to. But the training around the democracy, which is sort of a round table of like having discipline experts trying to come to solutions it's a lot like a writer's room for comedy. It's really what it is. It's like you're coming in and you're all riffing off each other. You're all bringing your own discipline to it. And that's how you make this complicated stuff. But at the very root of all this, it has to be an egoless democratic culture or that's not going to work. My last question is, what are you most worried about over the next five years? <sighs> You either have a lot or you have nothing. That's what that sigh tells me. Um, I'm laughing because I don't know. It has been so unpredictable over the past few years. I can't even imagine what the next five are going to be. You know, we go to these conferences and we hear these things, you know, catchwords being, you know, digital transformation or customer (laughs) experience or paradigm shift. And it's like a laugh because in a couple of years, it's going to be so cliched and, and outdated like a widget. That's Tracy Wong, and that's it for this episode. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, please subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. I'm Shreen Patek. We'll see you next week.